Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. We are sharing, or we're continuing a message series. There I am. Uh, Good to be with you today. I'm glad you're you're here. Um, We're talking about how much better life is together. This is the second week of a message series on that, Better Together. And uh, it really is life's better together, but whenever you're together, whenever you're around other people, there's potential for uh, tension, conflict, irritations. At the office, we share a parking lot with a bunch of other offices, and one morning I, I pulled into a spot, I saw this spot, really good spots, the one I like to park in if I can, it's really wide, it's on the edge. So I pulled into the spot, and I had seen a car sort of backing up, and I knew who it was, another gal who's in our office complex. She's, she was backing up, and I thought she was just backing up a little bit, going to pull back in. Well, I pulled into my spot, and I turned the car off, and all of a sudden I got a knock on the window, and I looked up, and the lady, I don't, she got, come to think of it, she got there very fast. I don't know how <laughs> she parked and got there so fast, but she was irate, and I got out of the car, and she was doing what my dad would say is chewing me out. She was letting me have it and lecturing me because I had, from her perspective, had pulled into the parking space and caused a potential for an accident, a a come-together, whatever you want to call it. And my knee-jerk reaction was to start justifying what I did. And to explain myself, I mean, I'm thinking, and I did. I started, well, you know, I, there was plenty. Actually, I don't know if you saw, but there was plenty of room, no problem. You, know, you shouldn't do that. You need to be careful. You need to be careful. And then I'm thinking all kinds, okay, how do I get my point across? Because it wasn't that close. So I stopped my, in my mind, I honestly was thinking, maybe I could explain the brain differences and how spatial ability is different. <laughs> I, I, I'm really beginning to think this. And... It's kind of amazing in the heated moment, the things that go through your mind. And I, I thought, no, and then, and then all of a sudden it, it just hit me. And I, by the grace of God, I listened. And I, I, I realized I just needed to, to, to stop trying to defend myself or justify my actions. And I said, I'm really sorry. I, I hope I didn't ruin your afternoon. And then she said, well... Uh, Her reply was that uh, she had a friend who had been in a car wreck the night before and really got hurt. And so she was sort of lit at the beginning. I said, well, I'm really sorry that that happened. I understand. And that's that's the best I could do (laughs) in that. So, you know, I understand. I'm, I'm really sorry that happened. Whenever we try to share things, like a parking lot, or life. There are obstacles. There's potential for irritations, conflict, explosions. And so we're continuing this series looking at how much better life is when you have somebody to share it with. Sometimes experiences like the parking lot incident that happened a few weeks ago make it very difficult. But the fact is, if we isolate ourselves, it kills. Isolation kills. We're, we're actually created for connection. God has made us 
to live life in groups, families, work groups, teams, social circles, classes. We go through life in groups with groups of people. And God's made it so that life actually loses meaning if you don't have someone to share it with. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is Solomon. He's in midlife evaluating what life is all about. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why, Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Life alone is, is a bummer. It's so much better together. Meaning in life is magnifying when we can share it with people that we enjoy. In fact, it's, it's bad for your health to be isolated. Because when we isolate ourselves, we might be breathing, but we're not fully alive. It's not life the way God intended it. So God keeps this in mind. We looked at this last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but just by way of review... God works to redeem the world with this in mind. So his pattern in redeeming in the, world, the world is he chooses leaders, he forms a community, a group of people, and he reaches through that community to the world around it. This is what he does. This is what we're all about. This is what's happening at Church in the Valley. We're a community with a purpose. God has pulled us together to fulfill his purpose. And we know we were made for this. We, we know this, and we may even know that God works through the church community to fulfill his purpose, but that doesn't make it any easier. Life gets miserable when the group gets sour, miserable. And when you put more than one person in the room, there's potential for friction, and irritation and conflict. Like sandpaper, people can rub one another the wrong way. It's irritating, annoying, and painful. And we've got to figure out how to get past that. You know, it's easy to identify the sandpaper people in your life. Just, just think about it. If you give it some thought, you can probably bring them to mind. Um, when you see their name come up on your phone, you might cringe. You might consider ignoring it, ignoring the call. Um, That's one indicator. Uh, Maybe uh, when you get with them or even consider getting with them, the energy drains right out of you. Or after you get time with them, you eat more to calm yourself. I mean, there's there's just different ways, indicators we have of, of... identifying, and we all have people like this in our life, and we don't want to be people like that, do we? If we're self-aware, we realize maybe we are at times sandpaper people. I'm pretty sure I am, but we don't want to be the difficult person. We don't want to be that. Jesus was clear of something. He was clear that a core characteristic of his followers is that they love people they wouldn't naturally love. This is what it means to follow Christ. You love people that are difficult to love, even your enemies. 
very clear. In his prayer that we looked at last week, John 17, he prayed for unity among the church community. He wanted us to be unified because that is magnetic. It attracts people to the group when they see a, a, a group of people working together to fulfill a purpose in unity. It's, it's magnetic. It attracts people to the church and to himself. So that was a key part of his prayer, that we'd be unified, that we'd work through these things. And he promises to help us do that. He promises to help us with this, and we need his help. If we're going to work through the obstacles, we need his help. The way it works is that we have to keep going. If you're following Christ and you want to live in unity with others who are maybe not like you or difficult... You have to keep going to him and drawing on the love and the strength that he has in order to make it work every day, every moment that you struggle. He's available, and we go to him and draw. If we're going to invite others into this group, which is what Ben mentioned, the Alhambra campus launch, and our, our mission really is to keep uh, including more and more people so that they can experience life uh, in the community and get to know Christ as well. If we're going to do that, we need to make it good. Yeah, you don't want to bring them around a bummer group. I mean, that's not good. And it's not just going to happen by accident. We need to understand some things. We need to be intentional about making it good. So today we're going to look at what, that, what that's like. The first thing, it's crucial to realize that we are the greatest obstacles to living social. We, people. People are the obstacles. We ourselves. Paul starts a very helpful passage on overcoming these obstacles in relationships with a rundown of the people who made up the church at Colossae. Colossians 3.11. Here there is, he's talking about here in this church, in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What he's doing here is he's listing old labels that divide people. He, he makes a list. Labels that create attitudes that put some people in a different category than us and create a barrier and generate hostilities. So that's what he does. He walks through the, Let's walk through the list. Greek. Jews use this term for anybody who wasn't Jewish. The next pair is the same thing. So there's Greek and Jew. <clears throat> there are circumcised and uncircumcised. Uncircumcised in the Jewish culture of the first century was a put-down. To call someone an uncircumcised person like saying, you, you're scum. It was a put-down. The Israelites, they wouldn't eat with people who were not a part of their group. In fact, they wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't touch them. If they touched them, they'd consider themselves unclean. And in the first church, what you see is people, Greek and Jews, sitting together, worshiping, singing, serving, and eating together. They, they did life together. Slave and free is the next label, a couple of labels. Slaves were not thought of as human beings in this day and age. In fact, Aristotle, one of the most cultured men of the day called slaves living tools. Up to one-third of the population of Colossae was considered to be, a, be slaves. 
And here they are in the first church, slave and free, worshiping together, living life together. Barbarians. I've probably been called a barbarian. I'm pretty sure at least it's been mumbled under somebody's breath at one time or the other. I'm, I'm, maybe the lady in the parking lot was thinking, barbarian, you know. <laughs> I don't know. But the Greeks, the cultured people, considered anyone who didn't speak Greek to be a barbarian. Because as they heard their languages, like bar, 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 bar. So that's where the word comes from, barbarians. And they, they sort of looked down on barbarians. Scythians were a certain group of barbarians. They were from a remote geographical area that, are, that were considered especially repulsive. There was a phrase, you're behaving like a Scythian. That phrase meant you're a wild beast. You're a party animal. Same thing, you're, you're behaving like a Scythian. That's what that meant. In Colossae and most of the first churches, you had all these groups together in one community. The high, the low, the educated, the poor, the powerful, the powerless, enemies who had become a community, basically, who bore all these labels. And at times, I know they were like sandpaper to one another. Their prejudice and their preferences would clash and they would have to work it through. And in fact, a lot, of the, a lot of the books in the New Testament part of the Bible are written to answer um, conflicts, to deal with tension and friction and prejudices and preferences. Bible's very real about this. Acts 6 is about a clash between Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews. Acts 15 talks about a decision that had to be made over between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Philemon was written to settle a dispute between a slave owner and a slave. Corinthians refers to quarrels. It was all over. The Bible is very real. This is real life. And if we're going to work together, we have to push through these obstacles because prejudice and preference creates a sandpaper effect in our lives. People are the greatest obstacle to community. We ourselves, what goes on between our ears, mostly, is the greatest obstacle. I read a guy this week who said, the acid test of spiritual growth is the ability to love people I would not naturally love. John Ortberg said that. I think that's, that's a great statement. It's an acid test. This is what you can expect God to do if you follow him. He's going to lead you to love people you don't normally love. He's going to help you work through the obstacles to doing that. And he's going to put you in a group of people, and it's going to be like sandpaper at times. And he's going to want you to work that through. And in working it through, you yourself grow as a person. This is what he does. If it's not happening, there's a disconnect between you and God and what he wants you to do. But this is how God is. He loves everybody just the same, whether they love him back or not. And he wants his people, people who bear his name, which we do in the church, he wants us to do the same, to be like him, to love those whether they love us back or not. So let's look at how to do that. How does Jesus lead us to get past ourselves 
and connect with those around us. Our, our mission, our purpose is too important to waste time with petty bickering and disputes over prejudice and preferences. This is true for Church in the Valley right now. We're pulling hard. A lot of us are working hard to, to make things go on both campuses. And the opportunity for irritation and annoyance when you get tired goes way up. But it's too important to let that divide us. What brings us together is this amazing assignment that God has given us to keep including other people in the group so they can get to know him and step inside his kingdom and find out how tremendous life is under the rule and reign of God. He wants to reach through us, so that's what we're doing. Look at Colossians 4, or 3, 12 through 14. It says, put on then. Another translation says, clothe yourselves. Every day we choose attitudes like we decide what we're going to wear. And he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, these are the attitudes to choose. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is what it takes to overcome the obstacles to connecting with a church community that is probably made up of people I'm not naturally drawn to. It's easy to think, you know, I'm a pretty good Christian. You know, I'm growing in my walk with God. When you're at your kitchen table reading the Bible, you can feel good about yourself there. You know, I'm doing pretty good at this. This is great. I'm learning some things. But throw you into a group of people, that's when you really find out how you're doing. Because it's not Jesus and me, it's Jesus and we. This is how God works. He, he works through communities of people. And community is a test. It's, it's like an obstacle course. <laughs> and if you keep moving forward on the obstacle course working through things as you face them, you grow. At any moment, if you bail off the course, you stop growing. Your growth is stunted. You have to keep working through these obstacles. God uses them to strengthen our faith, to grow us in ways that you miss if you isolate yourself, which is easy to do when you get frustrated. A lot of people quit when there's tension conflict or their way of thinking or doing things isn't affirmed. When we allow ourselves to pull back, we miss out on the growth that God intends. We're made for this. We need this. And we miss out on the growth. So here are the things that we're to put on. Here's, here's how to get through the obstacles. First of all, put on love. It says, above all these, put, in, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is a love that doesn't depend on feelings. We choose to sacrifice for the best interests of the other person regardless of how we feel. We, we do it. We just keep loving. It's, it's a choice, something we choose. This is the way God is. This is the way God loves us. And he makes it possible for us to love others this way. And we're going to get to how he does at, when I wrap up this morning. But we need to get this kind of love from God and channel it to those around us. Number two, bear with one another. That, that phrase literally means hold oneself up against, or in other words, to put up with, to bear with. I put up with someone. I don't pull away. 
because of irritations, annoyances, and preferences and prejudice. Now, there, there may be some reasons, there may be some boundaries in some relationships and some reasons not to stay connected to them if it's, if it's damaging or devastating. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you don't pull away because somebody doesn't line up with your preferences or prejudice and, and they, that's why you're pushing them away because of conflict or tension or irritation. You don't pull away and you don't try to push them away. So that's a strategy too. You know, we either pull away from the person or we try to squeeze them out of the group by ignoring them and making them pay. If you just learn to put up with sandpaper people, it will change you. Just, just by learning to put up with them, to bear with them, it will change you. You will grow through it, and God will grow your heart. He'll enlarge your heart. Some of my closest friends would have never been my buddies in high school. That's because that's so high school, you know. <laughs> that was so high school. A mark of maturity is I can include more and more kinds of people in my life, and my heart gets bigger if I allow God to lead me through that. God grows me through this. If we don't work through hurts and offenses, uh, they become a natural barrier between us. They, they draw a line. Number three, make peace quickly. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, which means to send it away or let it go. Let it go. Just let it go. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's a command. We have to do that. We have to forgive. If you're holding a grudge, you have to let it go. If you're a follower of Christ, this is what he wants. It's something we need to do. First Peter says, love covers over a multitude of sins. So love is the thing that binds it all together. And if we choose love, we can let it go. We need God's help with this. Sometimes we struggle. There's a decision to forgive. Then there's the emotional struggle that follows. But we make the decision and we work through it. We work through all that. And don't just forgive, but get moving toward peace whenever there's conflict. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. With that make every effort, the word means to speed toward peace. Whenever there's conflict or trouble, you put your pedal to the metal, you put your foot on the gas, you're speeding. Went rafting a few years back with some friends. There's a picture. You may recognize some of the folks. I don't know. Maybe not. They're all wet and stuff. But um, you, you, we were told we got onto the raft, and it was very calm where we got onto the raft. And it was the Rio Grande. We were on the Rio Grande in uh, New Mexico. And the, the uh, guide told us that um, we're going to come up to some rapids. And one of the rapids in particular is a rapid, I, I don't know, it's a sinkhole rapid. I don't, I don't do this. I did this once. But it's some kind of rapid that sucks you down. And if you don't have the right reflexes after that, you can die. And she said a couple of people had died. So at that point, she had our attention. Just tell, us, just tell us what to do. Notice she's standing up. She's enjoying life. We're paddling hard. Because she told us, and this is, this is that rapid. We're about to go into that rapid right there, where that sucks you down, you could die. And what she told us is, you're going to want to pull back from paddling, but you've got to paddle hard through the rapid, and then you'll get, it powers you through to the other side. So we're, we're paddling at that point. 
That's what this verse is saying. Whenever there's conflict, you need to paddle through the rapids. That's not our native reflex. We need help from God to do that. And we have to build that tendency, that reflex in as we learn to walk with God. But when there's trouble in family relationships or friendships, we need to push through it, make every effort to be united and don't get off the course. Don't do it. Number four is serve others. It says, put on then compassion. The key to connecting with sandpaper people is compassion, which means it literally refers to your intestines because it's talking about feeling something for the other person deep down. That's what it is to have compassion. You feel for them. So many times we put a wall up and we're like Teflon. We don't want to know what they're feeling or even think about what they're feeling because it might make us do something to show kindness or love to them. But that's how you connect. I'm going to tell you, my attitude completely changed toward the lady who was chewing me out in the parking lot when I found out she had a friend who had been in an accident the night before. That's compassion. I began to feel for her. And I understood that connected to me, to her, in a different way. And over a decade, we've been in that office space. And I've seen her in the parking lot several times. She's ignored me, never takes a look at me. Next time I saw her in the parking lot, she looked at me, smiled, and said hello. Conflict is an opportunity to connect. If we'll work through it, on the other side, we're closer because we've both been through this together. We're so afraid of it, though, aren't we? I am. I don't like it. I don't vote for it. I mean, hey, you know, we're going to enjoy one another or fight. I, I vote enjoy. But sometimes you've got to work through the conflict to get to the other side where you can enjoy it. When you do, life gets better and the relationships are sweeter. It makes a tremendous difference. So compassion, we put that on. That helps us connect with difficult people. If we start wondering, well, I wonder what's going on with them. Why are they having that attitude? What's going on with that? Then we show kindness. And that's, that's what it means to serve. We meet someone else's needs. We, we meet a need or a goal of theirs. We stoop. It literally means to stoop down and meet their need. We lower ourselves to serve them. That's what it means to show kindness. Humility, meekness, and patience are all going to be necessary in order to choose that. We defer to others. Meekness is controlled strength. We can go back at the person. We can get in the conflict and just start fighting and clashing and letting them know how strong and powerful we are. Or we can choose meekness control our strength, and use it for the good of the relationship and whatever it is we're working on together. Patience, forbearance, hanging in there. There it is again. So we serve others. When you make an investment in someone else, your heart follows your investment, and you connect in a different way. Number five, pray for them. Matthew 5, Jesus says this, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Sandpaper people, people who irritate you. You pray for them so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. When you pray 
and serve and love people who are your enemies, the difficult people, that may be the very moment in your life when you're the most like your Father in heaven because he plays no favorites. He does good to all. Sometimes we don't understand it, but that's how he is. And we represent him. We're to love others the way he loves us. And that brings us to number six, see them the way God does. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Those are, those are new labels <laughs> that we get when we decide to follow Christ. We're chosen by him. We're holy. He's given us his holiness, not of ourselves. And we're loved deeply by him. And so we see others around us the way he does, without labels and prejudice that divide. We're all loved by God, and we're important to him. I'd like to tell you a story uh, that I read this week. It's from a little book called The Whisper Test by Marianne Bird. And she, she wrote the book, and she wrote the story. And she said that she grew up with a cleft palate, so she knew she was different than the other kids. And her classmates in school made that very clear to her. Uh, they let her know how she looked. She had a misshapen lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. And when classmates would ask her how that happened, she'd say, well, I, I cut my lip on a piece of glass. Some, somehow that made more sense to her than just telling them she was born this way. So she struggled through this, and then uh, in second grade, she had the most popular teacher in the school, Mrs. Leonard, and she described her as short, round, happy, and sparkling. Mrs. Leonard, very popular teacher. All the kids loved her. And it came time to do the whisper test, which is a hearing test where uh, the person giving the test, the teacher, Mrs. Leonard, in this instance would stand about an arm's length behind the student and would whisper something like the sky is blue and then you the student had to whisper back the sky is blue to show that they they heard what she said or you have new shoes you know whatever she would say something and so <clears throat> Marianne Bird waited for her turn came her turn she, she stood up there Mrs. Leonard was behind her and she waited and listened and she said, God must have gave this woman the words to say because she said, I wish you were my little girl. And she said, in that moment, when I found out that somebody wanted me, it changed my life completely. What you find in this passage we are wanted by God. Sometimes he expresses that through people. What he wants to do is he wants to express it through the church community. He wants to express it through us. But if you get into the scriptures and you find out how God thinks about us, how he sees you and I and the people around us, we are wanted by God. We're chosen, holy, beloved by him. And if you'll understand that, it can change your life. It will give you what you need right here and now, and it will give you what you need to work through the obstacles to living social with the people around you. 
That's where we go. We go to God. And he wants us to begin to see ourselves and to see those around us the way that he does. When we do, there's a tremendous amount of power in that and a lot of help for living. I'd like to wrap up the message by asking you to think through your next steps. The band's going to be coming up today. Uh, If you would, please pull out your connection card uh, out of your program. And in a moment, we're going to receive the offering. You could drop the card in the offering. That'd be great. This time's a good time to finish completing any information or next steps that you may want to take that I'm suggesting. That'd be great. Here are my suggestions. First step, get past myself by doing one of the things we just looked at, the ways that Jesus helps us get past ourselves. Number one, two, three, four, five, six. Just circle that. Maybe you need to put on love or uh, bear with someone, make peace quickly with someone, or serve them, or pray for them, or see them the way God does. Maybe you haven't really been looking at them that way. Circle the one that represents what you'd like to do this week and ask God to help you to do that. Next step is sign up for a life group. This is a great way to, to connect with people. I heard a guy this week say, circles are better than rows for, uh, for spiritual growth. Circles, where we get face-to-face. We talk about what God's teaching us. We talk about scriptures. That's, that's better than rows. You know, this is rows. You're looking at me. This is helpful. I do it every week. I spend a lot of time getting ready for this. But circles really are where it happens many, many times. So that would be good. Just sign up for a life group by uh, putting the number of the group and the night it meets on your uh, connection card, and that would be great. That's, that's an easy way to do it. And then uh, another step would be to attend the CIB membership preview on the 14th if you'd like to connect with the church community. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for... The truth we find in your word that really does free us up, God. We find out that you love us deeply. You accept us. If we turn to you and seek you out, you meet every need that we'll ever have. Help us, God, not to just soak this in, but to pour it out into the lives of those around us. We ask for your help with this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.